Before we get started, I wanted to introduce you to the show's first sponsor, Athletic Greens. I don't mean to brag, but AG1 has actually been a staple in my household for years. Outside of the podcast, I am a busy entrepreneur. There are days I get so busy I forget to eat. That means I find myself almost daily whipping up a smoothie to make sure I don't crash and burn. I always add AG1 to my smoothies. AG1 has 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food source superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens. It ensures that I'm filling in any nutritional gaps while eating on the go. It also has a mild fruity taste, so it doesn't overpower my smoothies. My husband drinks his AG1 every day with just water. I love that it's in powder form, as I am not good with pill-taking routines, and it's cheaper than getting all the different supplements individually. They also use funds from every purchase to support children in need. In 2021, AG support helped get nearly 2 million meals to kids in need. So if you're busy and want to support your immune system, gut health, and overall well-being with just one scoop a day, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash twistedmirror. Again, that is athleticgreens.com slash twistedmirror. Welcome to the Twisted Mirror season finale. This episode is another two-parter. It may not be a brand new story to those of you who are fans of Scare You to Sleep, where Shelby Scott did an amazing job of bringing good hair to life. No matter how many times I edit a story, I always find myself wanting to tweak something here or there. So I use this as an opportunity to make some edits. If you've heard good hair before, or if you haven't, want to also give Shelby a listen. See if you can spot the differences. For those who love the original, rest assured, all the meat is the same. I just may have sprinkled a different seasoning here or there. I'll be back with season two in the late fall. I already have some incredible stories lined up, so you're in for some treats. In the meantime, if you want to stay in the loop, there's a few ways. You can go join the Facebook group for the show. It's called Behind the Mirror. You can also follow the Facebook page at Twisted Mirror Pod. On IG, it's at Twisted Mirror Podcast. Or you can find my skeletal remains on TikTok at Twisted Mirror Podcast. You can also sign up for email updates on my site, twistedmirrorpodcast.com. And finally, please, if you have not done so and love the show, you can support Twisted Mirror by leaving a rating and review on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen. And don't forget to share with your friends. Growing the show may allow me to put out more frequent episodes in the future. Thank you for joining me on this rocky ride that is independently producing a podcast. Now, let's stare into the mirror and find part one of the season finale, Good Hair. You are now staring into the twisted mirror. The story of the ugly duckling is a classic one, assuring countless children that one day they will no longer be a dull gray duckling, but an elegant white swan. With that will come acceptance, love, and happily ever after. But what if it wasn't the little duckling that changed, but the world around it? 
What if the things you had been told your entire life were false? Things that made you ugly, abnormal, had become desirable? Of course, that's what we would want. Who wouldn't kill for that? For the very thing people mocked about you to not only become acceptable, but coveted. But you should know by now that on the other side of the twisted mirror, there's always a catch. To be the object of desire, to be craved means that some of those who hunger will be willing to do almost anything to get their fix. The antique warehouse was an endless, dusty maze. That was perfect for someone who just wanted to get lost. It was my first day off in weeks from working the front desk at one of those 24-hour gym chains. It paid like shit, but I had to take it despite being embarrassingly overqualified. On top of that, I had to deal with my quick-to-anger boss, who we all knew was taking steroids, yet somehow didn't have much to show for it. I had a well-paying job last year, but the market crashed and the company went down and no one was hiring in the mortgage sector. I didn't have anyone to fall back on, being the only child of two deceased parents. The bills were piling up and I could no longer hold out waiting for something I felt I deserved. So, I tidied up the bathrooms on the hour and made sure people swiped their membership cards and stared at the clock. Then I went home and tossed in bed over which bill couldn't wait any longer to be paid. I was living on 20% of my previous income, and I had lost on a property I had to offload when things started to tank. I still had my condo mortgage, and losing it was one indignity. I just refused to suffer. So, I somehow performed a miracle of math and made the payments each month, though I, I didn't know how much longer I could continue turning water into wine. I couldn't afford anything at the antique warehouse, but at least browsing was free and therapeutic in some ways. The rhythmic walking up and down the long aisles, the brownness of it all, old dolls, Leather goods, wooden chairs and chests, the dim lighting, the stale smell gave me a sense of perspective. That there was a time before things got this hard, and hopefully, there would be a time after. It was a gray Tuesday late morning, with the kind of bleak sky that kept people indoors and I could walk for minutes past the individual numbered booths before even seeing another shopper. I came upon a wood carving of a dog and smiled wistfully. It reminded me of Blanche, my little girl who had died the month before. I couldn't afford treatments for her, not that they would have afforded her much more time, and I had to put her down. 
Like I told you, it had been a really bad year. The carving wasn't an antique. Well, the wood was old, reclaimed from abandoned steel mills. Inmates from a prison in the state hand-carved these, said a little piece of paper affixed to it with twine. The proceeds went to charity. It was only $15, but every dollar I earned was accounted for. There was a time I would have purchased it without a thought. I would have taken it home and crouched down to Blanche as she greeted me upon my arrival. Look, girl, it's you, I would have said. But Blanche was dead, and I was broke, and I wasn't that person who could afford these small pleasures, even as a memorial. You like dogs? A wobbly voice asked from behind. I could tell the shaky tone was from aged vocal cords and not indecision. I was startled a bit and was embarrassed for it. I turned around to find an elderly woman behind me. Despite her age, I could still see the beauty from her younger years fighting to remain seen past the thinned skin. Oh, uh, yes, I do. But it's just that this one in particular reminds me of my dog. Isn't that precious? How long have you had her? Since she was a puppy. Her litter was abandoned on my street, and I saved her, and the others went to a rescue. But she's gone now. She passed away last month. She placed her hand against her chest. Oh, my dear, I am so sorry. It's okay, I nodded as I placed the dog carving back on the shelf. Well, aren't you going to buy it? She asked. I waved my hand dismissively at the carving. Oh no, I have far too many knickknacks cluttering my shelves. I had gotten used to lying about my newfound poverty. It's funny, I noticed you all the way from over there. She pointed her shaky, veiny finger to the first booth in the aisle. A semi-transparent fringe kimono sleeve draped from her arm. You have beautiful hair. Just stunning. Thank you, I smiled bashfully, though the response was rote at this point. I don't mean this to gloat in any way, I promise. But I was used to the compliment. I have a head teeming with long, voluminous, tight spirals that run down my back and upwards towards the heavens. The compliments are probably more a reflection of the rarity of its texture than anything. It makes me a human peacock. It gets attention, even when I want to fade into the browns and grays of a day like this. So, instead of self-deprecation, which is often the reaction women fall back on when given a compliment, I find a simple thank you moves things along much faster. Is it real? she asked. Mm-hmm, I nodded. All mine. I was only mildly annoyed. It was another question I had to field regularly. In my mind, I would ask back, are your teeth, tits, nails real? But... 
I never did actually utter the words. What are you? she asked, reaching to touch my hair. What am I? I repeated as I stepped back subtly. She didn't take the hint and ran her bejeweled hands over my hair, which caught every little fly away. Without looking, I knew she was creating an instant trail of frizz on an already damp day. Like a pregnant woman's belly, people felt it was perfectly okay to reach out and touch this part of my body without asking. I didn't have the social energy to take a stand about it every time. Especially to an old lady whose notions about personal space were likely outdated and who had genuinely no ill intentions. I mean to ask, where is your family from? Oh, a bunch of places, I responded, shoving my hands in my pockets. It was then I noticed her hair, despite being pinned up, was exceptionally glossy and lush for that of someone her age, when hair had often deteriorated to a straw-like texture. Perhaps it was a wig. That wasn't uncommon for older ladies. From her floral silk top to her fresh manicure and round red lacquer lips, she was youthful in parts, despite clearly being elderly. In fact, I didn't know why I was so sure of her age, considering how many of her features belied it. It could be in her hands, which were sinewy, their sheer skin veiling a network of blue veins, or her voice, which vibrated with the loss of a robust and supple pair of vocal cords. Maybe it was the smell of her, a sharp, harsh floral bouquet, and amber mixed with the smell of talcum powder. And underneath it all, a faint layer of staleness. You are a lovely girl. Exotic features and so sweet to patiently speak with an old lady like me. No, I chuckled. It's my pleasure. After a pause, she sighed. Well, I'll let you be on your way then. It was a pleasure meeting you. She extended the last word into a question mark. Sarai, I answered. Judith, she replied. I left the booth, though I hadn't finished searching it. My social anxiety wouldn't have allowed for me to browse just beside her in awkward silence. I wasn't always like this inside of my head and isolated. Not too long ago, I had a pretty healthy social life and a boyfriend. He actually was the reason I moved out here. When I lost my job and couldn't bounce back, the financial strain and more importantly, the depression that ensued weighed more than our relationship could support. Six months after I lost my job, he moved out. I was prideful and embarrassed when it came to my friends. We used to enjoy weekend getaways, expensive meals and drinks. They had managed to either survive the massive layoffs that plagued the country or had mommy and daddy to support them. I couldn't stand being the charity case 
pretending I wasn't hungry or allowing my sympathetic chums to buy me a drink. So I stopped accepting invitations. Stopped checking in with friends. I just drifted between my condo and work. I didn't want to make my tenure there feel at all permanent. So I didn't hang out with any of my coworkers when the opportunities arose. Now, I see it's like a muscle. Conversation, openness, social graces. The more I retreated, the smaller my world became. The more anxious I felt around new people. The less able I was to make friends or initiate contact. All I could think about when that woman approached me was how I could make her stop, how I could go back to the meditative sound of my boots clacking along the old plank floors, and how I could go back to wallowing in silence about all the things I was no longer. I had wandered about for another 20 minutes or so before deciding that things had gone from relaxing to dull. My next stop would be a consignment store down the road. Just as I was walking out the door, a man called at me from behind the counter. Yes? I was surprised that he knew my name. This is yours, he said, handing me a small bag. I don't understand. I didn't buy anything. Someone did, so you might as well accept. I gave him a nod of acknowledgement and timidly took the bag from his grasp. I stepped outside into the damp, early November air and pulled out the dog carving. A piece of paper was folded inside the bag. Forgive me if I was presumptuous, but I sensed how dearly you loved Blanche. I couldn't let you leave without it. I've been on this earth long enough to know when someone wants something. So... I hope you'll accept this gift. My heart swelled in a way it hadn't for as long as I could remember. My throat thickened and my eyes filled with moisture. I choked it all back with difficulty, as if swallowing rocks. I had felt the harsh, unforgiving reality of the adult world for the first time. I had been lucky, and I took it for granted. Now, I had been reduced, so that this small gesture, at this moment in time, felt like she had given me a dog carved out of pure gold. I walked down the front steps of the warehouse entrance and was surprised to spot Judith getting into her car. I didn't want to yell, so I scurried down the stairs and jogged towards her. She was beginning to pull away when I gently tapped on her window. She lowered it, a smile forming across her lips. I thanked her before she could say anything. Oh, my pleasure, sweetie. I know you said you didn't have space, but I felt it in my heart. I really do appreciate it. The emotions rushed up to the surface again. What is wrong with you? I thought to myself. I just had a really tough year, and 
This was such a kind gesture. The woman smiled, this time placing her hand over mine as it rested on the driver's side door. There was a slight, consistent tremble. Another hint towards her age I must have subconsciously picked up on before. She squinted at me as if some new thought had sprung in her head. May I ask you something? Of course, I said. Please feel free to say no, it's just I'm, I'm actually in a bit of a bind. My stomach sank. Was this all an act to get something out of me? Had I just been suckered? My dog-sitter, Eliana, had to move away, and I am very particular about who watches my dog. I just see your tenderness towards your girl, and I feel I could trust you with the emerald, my little girl. You have a dog? I didn't feel it was appropriate to mention as you were mourning yours. I acknowledge her thoughtfulness with a wan smile. Here she is. Judith pulled out a photo from her visor. Emerald was not the stereotypical white fluffball one would expect for a woman like Judith, but a huge Rottweiler. Next to the dog was a beautiful woman with espresso skin that glimmered even in an abused photo. Her hair was closely shaven to her skull and her white smile beamed like moonlight against her dark skin tone. Her lips were enviably pillowy and she confidently painted them with a bright coral lipstick that popped against her luminescent skin. Is this Ileana? I asked. Judith nodded. Ileana radiated and I wondered if I could replace someone who appeared so vibrant, even in a beat-up photo. I'll pay very well, $40 an hour. I could also use some help with basic things like groceries and errands if you're interested. That was almost four times what I made per hour at the gym. If this worked out, maybe I could cut my hours there and work for Judith. We talked a little longer and it turned out she needed someone that Sunday, which worked perfectly with my schedule. I shouldn't have been shocked by Judith's home, but it wasn't until I pulled up past the open gate and down the long driveway that I realized how incredibly wealthy she must be. The house was museum-like from the exterior. It probably went back to the 1800s and looked like something I could imagine in a Poe novel. It was stately and old, with moss growing up the sides of its gray walls. It belonged in the green, lush setting as much as the surrounding mature trees did. This was a house built for gloomy, sunless days such as this one. Sunny and chirpy skies would seem infantile, next to the solemn edifice. I was so taken in by it, I almost didn't notice a car passing me in the opposite direction, glancing over only just in time to see a woman inside, her face bandaged from the nose down. We locked eyes for a moment, and she looked away. I had arrived early and assumed 
Judith had just ended a social appointment. After I parked, I debated for a bit whether knocking on her door so early was rude, but I wanted to impress her with my promptness, so not making it known would defeat the purpose. Judith saved me from my own indecision by opening her front door. You're early. Emerald ran out as I exited the car. Don't worry, she's friendly. Her shout was brittle as Emerald jumped up and nearly knocked me over. No, Emerald, no. Judith ordered with a dearth of authority. It was an exercise in human more than canine manners. I pushed Emerald down and said, sit, in a husky voice I conjured to gain more respect from dogs. She complied. You are a natural. That dog thinks she's the queen around here and doesn't listen to a word I say. I apologize for being so early. Well, you'll have to help me get ready to leave then, Judith said. She invited me inside and we congregated in the kitchen. The house was colorless and serious, and it was entirely appropriate considering the Gothic architecture. I asked if I had interrupted something because I saw someone leaving. She assured me through a chuckle that it was a friend who had recently gotten a nose job and who was getting a little stir-crazy recovering at home. The house was immaculate, and everything was neatly stacked. Nothing was given to chance. That made sense. Wealth like this could afford a staff, a live-in staff at that. Yet there was a noticeable silence that indicated we were alone. And because of this perfect orderliness, a corner of a folder haphazardly sticking out of a built-in desk drawer so that it was bent and twisted was all the more noticeable. My eyes wandered over to it and then back to her when she clutched the edge of the counter. Oh, would you be a darling and, and grab me a water? I'm feeling a little lightheaded. She pointed me to a specific cupboard where she said she kept her thermos. I had to turn my back, and when I did, I heard her moving behind me. I wouldn't have thought anything of it except that when I had handed her the water, I noticed the drawer was now closed and the folder was gone. And so was her sudden dizzy spell. Anemia, she claimed. I'll be back tomorrow morning. Everything you need to know about Emerald is on this sheet. I glanced over it. It was nothing out of the ordinary. The easiest 40 bucks per hour I would ever make. I asked her about Wi-Fi, which must have been very millennial of me. Oh, I'm sorry, dear. I don't use the internet. And I should warn you, the reception out here is terrible. You'll need to use the landline in the event of an emergency. She sensed my immediate angst. But there's cable. She informed me that the fridge was loaded with tons of food I was free to enjoy. And with that, she was gone. Even with Emerald, who mostly napped, the house was overbearingly hollow. For a while, I watched TV and hopelessly glanced down at the empty spot on my phone where there was typically a row of ascending bars. I had grown used to the constant contact, the feeling of never being alone while being lonely. It likely facilitated my recent isolation. 
I could scroll through Instagram and tell myself I was keeping up with the friends I had pretty much abandoned. But here, in this oppressively silent and shadowy home, I was alone. I was lonely. And I couldn't distract from the feeling. With a frustrated huff, I tossed the remote on the sofa and got up. Was it rude to give myself a tour? I was house-sitting in a way. Besides, Judith hadn't shown me my room for the night, mentioning going up and down the long staircase sometimes made her hip act up. Instead, she wrote it on the sheet like directions to some faraway destination. Go up the stairs and to the far end of the hall, the last room on the right. I first explored the ground level. It wasn't surprising, a kitchen almost as large as my condo, which I had already seen, the den where I was watching TV, a formal dining room and living room, a Four Seasons room. I was more curious about the second level. What could a single elderly woman like Judith do with all that space? I tiptoed up the stairs as if I was doing something wrong and was greeted by a long corridor at the top. Dark plum carpet lay from wall to wall, and every single door was closed. I convinced myself it would be less intrusive to walk to the end of the hallway and accidentally open the door across from mine. A simple mistake, versus me purposefully nosing around. I was greeted by a room that looked like part of a museum tour. Emerald green florals and velvet adorned, ornately carved furniture. I smirked. She must really like that color. Then I went to mine. It was ruby and lush. My inhibitions had easily waned, and I went to the next, a sapphire blue room. I was beginning to see the theme. I should have known from all the costume jewelry on her fingers that she had a taste for these things. Each door I opened displayed a room decorated in some sort of jewel tone. But when I got to the last one, I made an attempt to turn the handle and it didn't budge. This must be her personal bedroom, I thought. I turned to walk back down the hall to give my ruby room another once-over, when I heard something. It was the faintest sound. In fact, I almost hadn't heard it. I stopped in my tracks, wondering if the almost imperceptible whine was an old floorboard squeaking underneath my foot. The place was silent again. The verdict? My mind was playing tricks on me. I wasn't used to being alone in a house this big. Old houses are prone to grumbling about their achy bones at night. My dad used to say when I would get scared of the random creaks and groans of our little wooden house settling. I took a few more steps and I thought I heard it again. This time I turned sharply. Emerald was at the top of the stairs now. It must have been her whining. I let out a sigh of relief and chuckled to myself. Hey, Hemi girl, I said. She cozied up to me. You need to go potty, huh? I made my way downstairs, ignoring that feeling that the answer I had come up with wasn't quite satisfying enough.
When I woke up from my nap on the plush down sofa in Judith's den, it was already past midnight. A serene, dense fog had rolled in from the hills, which wasn't unusual for this time of year. Emerald was curled up at my feet. In fact, it was her snoring that woke me. So I nudged her awake and we headed upstairs together. As I walked past an old-fashioned rotary phone, just at the base of the stairs, I thought about calling someone, any of my old friends, just to say hello and to tell them about this bizarre but interesting opportunity. After a few seconds of staring, I passed on the thought. I hadn't used one of those things in ages, and who called out of the blue these days anyway? It had been so long, the call would seem out of place and awkward. Then the questions would come, the ones I didn't want to answer about my new depressing life. I gave myself one last look. Still, not even a single bar, and trudged up the steps with my charge just behind me. Emmy settled into her dog bed without being instructed, and I turned on the shower in my ensuite bathroom. I undressed as the water warmed. A thick steam began to build and roll out into the bedroom, much like the night fog outside. I stepped into the cloud, so dense I could hardly see anything in the bathroom when I heard a loud pounding. I gasped as my heart rocketed into my throat. What the fuck was that? I was only in my underwear at that point and scrambled in the suffocating hot, wet air for something to cover my exposed body. I found a robe and threw it on, shut off the noisy shower, and tiptoed out into the bedroom to find that Emmy was gone and the bedroom door was wide open. I couldn't remember if I had closed it securely or not. Each heavy breath in my chest shuddered as I searched my thoughts for what to do. Instinctively, I thought about grabbing my cell phone, but remembered only the landline downstairs worked. It hadn't seemed so important before, but now that I needed it, I remembered in all my wandering I had only seen the one. Why would a house this massive only have one phone? I'd have to walk down the long, dark hallway, past a dozen closed doors just to get to it. The pounding started again. This time, without the white noise of the shower crowding my hearing, it was louder and it erased any notion that I was alone in the house. I searched the room for anything I could use as a weapon, but even the lamps were sconces. Everything was bolted down, built in, or absolutely useless as a weapon. To shut myself in the room, I'd have to walk to the door, closer to whatever was out there. I was a sitting duck, and I had to act somehow. I tiptoed to the doorway. Every muscle in my body grew tense in an attempt to weigh me down and fix me to my place. But I trudged forward. As I walked closer to it, I heard the low rumblings of a growl. 
Emmy was my responsibility, and though I might leave her out there if it was life or death, I would first do whatever I could to bring her back to me. If anything, Emerald by my side would be the ultimate protection. Another succession of loud poundings. I stifled a scream. My entire body trembled as I shuffled to the threshold with my back against the wall. <coughs> Emmy's growls loudened as I neared the opening to the corridor. Finally, I held my breath as if jumping into a pool, unable to swim with no idea of its depth, and peeked down the hall. The light from my room barely reached down where she was, but it was enough to make out the shadowy scene. Emmy sat in front of the locked room at attention, her ears sprung erect on her broad skull. And even in this darkness, I could see the whites of her bared teeth and the glimmering drool trailing down her jowls. I was breathless with adrenaline that made my entire body quake. I opened my mouth and barely a raspy whisper emerged. M. E. M. E. She couldn't hear me, and I knew a dog locked in like that would require more than a shaky, breathy, tear-choked beckoning. This time I saw the door jolt with each thud, and I felt like I had jumped into the ceiling, though my feet hadn't left the ground. I pressed against the wall harder, like that would protect me, shield me from the source of the thuds. I extended a shivering arm from the doorway and gestured for Emerald. Her name escaped in a weak, throaty cry again. Emmy, please. But she suddenly rose on all fours and her growling intensified. I couldn't see what had changed, but I decided at that point I needed to get the phone. If whoever was trying to break in or out of that room managed, Emerald had already proven she would stand guard. I crept along that wall, opposite the door in question. At first, so slowly it seemed as though it would take me all night to get to the staircase. But as I gained a moat of composure, I picked up my pace Realizing lingering in this hallway was keeping me exposed, I hastily scurried towards the stairs, and as I neared the door, I saw what Emerald was staring at, what caused her to go from cautiously protective to ready to defend. The handle of the door was twisting and turning. The clanking sounds of the old brass doorknob, a terrifying reminder of what little stood between me and whatever was trying to come through. I hurried my pace, now just steps from the door, when I heard it. This time I knew it wasn't Emmy or an old, achy house. A moan. It was masked by the solid wood door but also muffled 
like someone whose mouth was bound. Then another, fainter, but also more distinct sound. A female voice. Help us. I froze. It was as if my body or brain was insisting I listen instead of fleeing. I wish I could say I bravely called out to the voices, but I just stood there quivering like a plucked taut string. Another weak moan. The handle continued to wriggle and the solid wood door rocked violently within its frame. Emmy growled and spit. The flesh in her throat vibrated with a restrained growl. The weak light that carried from my ruby room highlighted the thick, dark stripe of hair that stood along her spine. Help! This time it was clear. So clear that it unlocked my days like a splash of frigid water. I bolted down the stairs, my wobbly legs hardly able to sustain my weight. I picked up the phone receiver and stuck my finger in the rotary holes and tugged the way I could barely remember from my childhood. Nothing happened. There wasn't even a signal. I banged the receiver against the table and listened for a dial tone. Of course, that hadn't fixed anything. I ran to the kitchen in search of my keys. I felt around the massive island in the dark and saw nothing. I found a light switch and the island was bare. I was certain I had left them there. Maybe I'd forgotten them in my purse, which I had rested on a dining room chair. I pulled the chairs and stools from their respective spaces. It was gone. Should I run out of the house? What if people were waiting for me out there? What if the people upstairs really needed me? I searched the kitchen for a weapon. I couldn't find a single knife. I had eaten dinner before I fell asleep, and I knew I had seen some. Hell, I had used one. Now, they were all gone. My thoughts were too frenzied to make any sense of this other than something was terribly wrong in this house. Had someone broken in as I slept? Had they put their prisoners in that room? Why and how would an old lady who could barely summit a flight of stairs have anyone locked up? None of this made any sense. In a last-ditch effort, I opened up the doors under the sink and found an old screwdriver poking out of a rag. Something the help must have forgotten while fixing a leak long ago. I gave one last look outside of the front window. My car was gone. I didn't even know where the closest house was. Maybe I could get out to the road. I tried the front door handle. It wouldn't budge. Come on! I cried, pushing and pulling with all of my might. Not losing sight of the fact that this wasn't unlike what the person or people upstairs were doing. I ran to another door. Locked as well. Shut up! I screamed, just as much to the thudding upstairs as to the deafening pulse in my head.
I tried it all, but the windows wouldn't shatter. No door would budge. I was trapped. My fear of what was behind that door began to shape into empathy. Whoever was in that room had more in common with me than I had first thought. Like me, they were trapped. Maybe we could help each other. With that, I understood. The only place to go was up. My unsteady hands could barely support the screwdriver as I crept back up the stairwell. When I neared the top, the frenzy upstairs became more apparent. Emmy was scratching at the doors. The handle was being pulled and pushed in a steady rhythm. The primal moans had become frantic. Emmy, down, I commanded with a force in my voice that I hadn't summoned since this whole ordeal started. I felt confident she wouldn't turn on me and I was right as I clipped on her leash and hooked it to another door, just far enough for her to be out of reach, but close enough for me to run and unleash her in a hurry. Hello? I asked. There was an enthusiastic grunt of sorts, something like the squeal of a hog. It was feral, helpless, distraught. Then there was a week. Hello? Who are you? I asked. There's, there's no time to explain. You... There was a pause, as though every phrase exhausted her. I have to get help or let us out, please. Hurry. She'll come for you too. She? Do you mean Judith? What are you talking about? A panicked series of thuds and groans came through from the other side. They had run out of patience. I still couldn't choose. Once that door was open, I couldn't take it back. Please, I need to know more. How do I know you won't hurt me? Who are you? What are you doing here? There was silence on the other side. It lasted for seconds and created a cavern of emptiness where relentless chaos had been just seconds earlier. The voice that eventually emerged had gone so weak. I finally understood that at least one person on that side barely had the strength to speak, let alone attack me. Morgan and Ileana. Ileana. The picture of that vibrant, bright coral lipstick against that effervescent dark skin popped into my thoughts. She'll come for you too. Those words echoed in my head. I didn't quite understand what was happening, but just as you begin to cluster the first few fragments of a puzzle, 
I could form a vague idea of the picture unfolding. Ileana never moved. She was here all along. And if I was the next Ileana? A fiery urgency took over me when I realized the implications. I grabbed the screwdriver firmly and began to unscrew the knob from the door. After a few minutes, the knob loosened. I reached in with the long end and jammed it into the locking mechanism. I cried a battle cry as I jimmied and shook and twisted the screwdriver. Finally, with some assistance on their side, the door flung open. One of them landed on top of me and I panicked, dragging myself out from underneath her. I could feel her velvety skin and see the outline of her closely shaven head, though it had grown out quite a bit. It was Ileana. Still, I broke free, untrusting of her intentions. Emerald barked in the background and strained the leash. No! I shouted. And she sat, still at attention, retreating back to a low grumble. Finally, I came to my feet. Ileana was still on all fours, and when she looked at me, I gasped in disbelief and bone-splitting terror. Where there had once been a kissable, thick set of coral lips, one that framed a moonbeam's smile, there was a thin trail of stitches, sealing what was left of her mouth shut. She tried to say something through her closed mouth. I think it was help. It was then I realized that faint, indistinct sound I had heard, the one that grew with urgency, was her. Oh my god. I whimpered sympathetically, pulling her to her feet. I looked behind her and saw another young woman collapsed on the floor. She had a large swath of bandages around her entire hip region. And where the buttocks would be was a huge red blood stain. I ran over to her and shook her, but she wouldn't stir. I had waited too long. I was too late to save her. She used her last bit of strength to help us open the door. Ileana moaned a guttural cry through her sealed mouth and knelt at her side. It sounded animal-like, as if she had been stripped of her humanity. We have to go, I whispered. She held onto her friend as long as she could before I pulled her away. I placed her arm around my shoulder and guided her down the stairs. We were trapped as far as I knew, but I hoped Ileana knew more than I did about the house and could use what strength she had to guide us out. Memories of my interactions with Judith raced through my thoughts. How she sought me out, lured me with flattery and a gift. Despite the subtle warning signs that made me uncomfortable. How she touched me without asking. Asked me questions as if my origins were otherworldly. Inspected me with her eyes like I was one of the antiques for sale, 
as we finally reached the bottom of the winding staircase, panting and exhausted. I said to Ileana, I know you're tired, but they, she, took my car keys. We're going to have to run. Do you know a way out? Everything is locked. She made a gesture with her hands, asking for a pen and paper and pointed towards the kitchen, where there might be some writing utensils. We rounded a corner and stopped like a brick wall had instantaneously erected in front of us. Though it was still too dark to make out every fine detail, the shape of a person blocking our path about 20 feet away was undoubtedly that of Judith. What do you want? I screamed. I saw something in her hand. The gun, maybe? I reached into my robe pocket, but it was empty. I must have dropped the screwdriver upstairs. She started walking towards us, and we ran towards the Four Seasons room, which was on the other end of the ground level. Emerald! Get her! Judith shouted. The old woman quiver still evident in her voice, but this time she spoke authoritatively and at a volume I didn't think she was capable of. Like some canine Manchurian candidate, I heard Emerald bound down the stairs. It devastated me to know Emmy was in on it all. Her growling at the door wasn't to protect me. It was to keep them in. Judith was her master, and all it took was one command for Emerald to realize she had permission to rip herself off that leash, which was merely a suggestion. I wouldn't let Ileana go, and her muted whimpers echoed against my ears as we hobbled towards uncertainty. We were close. I could see the glass walls and the fog outside. Maybe I could close the door behind me and secure us in there. We were just feet away when Emerald slammed into our backs. Like one giant clenched fist. We fell forward and she stood on my back. Blobs of saliva raining down on me. The bony clap of Emmy's jaw snapped shut repeatedly, just inches from my ear. But she never actually bit me. Somehow, in the chaos, Ileana got loose. Sick! Judith ordered. Emerald bounded off of me and tackled poor Ileana again, holding her down as the shadow of that old bitch cast over me. I turned on my back to face her. She raised the gun at me and pulled the trigger. I didn't expect death to be so painless. It was more like a pinch than a bang. I looked over at my arm where I thought the bullet had landed and instead saw a dart. I reached for it, but my hand got heavy, my vision cloudy. Then I drifted away. 
If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And MIDI can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. 